Thanks for tuning in to the HR Uprising podcast. I'm your host, Lucinda Carney. The HR Uprising is focused on helping forward-thinking people professionals deliver real lasting value in their organisations. I'm a chartered psychologist, speaker and trainer, and recently authored the best-selling business book, How to Be a Change Superhero. My day job is founder and CEO of software and training business Actus. This gives me the opportunity to work with other businesses like yours. We are focused on building a better workplace for people wherever they are located with the help of our performance, learning and talent management software and our training and consultancy services. Every week on the podcast, I will be covering different topics and challenges, joined by relevant experts and real-life people professionals. Thank you so much for tuning in. I really hope you enjoy and get value from this week's episode. So this is a quick introduction to a series of HR Uprising podcast episodes that we've recorded with the fantastic HR Independence Trio. So I've been delighted to be working with Katie McMinn, Mary Asante and Ruth Cornish, and I know many of you will know these people, who set up the HR Independence Membership Group last September, um, aimed at independent HR professionals, consultants, actually filling a real gap in the market to um, support you. They've got um, a host of resources, uh, expert partners, including ourselves, Actus actually are also expert partners, but in terms of your legal um, queries you might have. And really it's about making sure you don't feel isolated um, if you are an independent HR consultant or maybe someone who's in a standalone HR role. Anyway, I felt, as you know, my background's more organisational development, learning and development than pure HR. And I'm aware that there are people who listen to this podcast who are starting out in their HR careers. So sometimes it's about having some of the essentials. I also know all of us, none of us can be experts in everything. So I asked these guys to um, work with us on the sort of top six themes that people maybe want to know, you know, HR 101 about. And some of them are technical themes, so managing IR35 or um, you know currents in terms of bringing people in from overseas workers, how do we manage that? Some of them are very practical, recruitment, disciplinary and grievance. So we've got an initial series of six episodes with the guys. And if it's successful, let us know if you like them. Um, if you'd like us to do other topics, then they're designed to be sort of, not quite the bluffer's guide to, but a really useful resource in terms of um, HR essentials. And I'm very grateful to uh, the HR independence team for working with HR Uprising to deliver them. So that's my introduction. I won't do that every single time, but I really hope you find uh, this new series of value to you. Hello and welcome to this week's HR Uprising podcast. My name is Lucinda Carney. You should recognise my voice, I'm sure. And I'm really pleased to have a, a repeat guest um, one of the HR independents. I've got Ruth Cornish with me today, and we're going to share with you one of our HR roll-in series episodes. So the purpose of the HR roll-in series is really, it's, it's um, about focusing in on key topic areas that are 
either challenging or interesting to HR and we get lots of questions. So Ruth, as many of you may know, um, there's a, a very active Facebook group where queries come up and we're members of other Facebook groups that we see repeat queries. So for this series, we decided to drill into some of those and share some learnings, best practice, top tips to try and save, save some of you guys pain. So I hope you find it useful. So Ruth, hi, do you want to introduce yourself in case people don't know you? Thanks for having me on, Nasinda. So I'm Ruth Cornish. Um, I've got 30 years experience in HR, um, working in financial services, professional services, um, the public sector, and most recently in the last 11 years, running my own practice, Amalor Limited. Um, I'm a co-founder of HR Independence, HRI, which we launched on the 30th of September, providing support to external HR, people working independently. And I think this is where this is very useful, this topic that we're going to talk about. In fact, all of the topics in this series are useful for either independent HR professionals, because it's very hard to be expert in everything, let's face it. And of course, internal, the same for the same reason. Um, you know, I mean, the topic that we're going to talk about today is HR's role in sponsorship of workers and temporary workers in relation to immigration. And that might sound like a really dry title, and I know nothing about it, but I know that it's a real pain point because as of Brexit, suddenly HR. Um, have had to be experts in this and I guess yeah, well let's go straight into the topic Ruth you, you were saying just before we were chatting about how challenging it is as you've been researching it and doing this for some clients. Definitely I mean uh, Brexit's changed everything from this point of view you know since the 1st of January of this year all UK employers are required to hold a sponsor license to hire non-UK resident workers um, and you know, before, you know, a year ago, we were used to the sort of free flow of labour. People could come over to us from pretty much most places um, without this requirement. Now, of course, if we want to be competitive and have a diverse workforce, we need to probably um, become sponsors. And uh, it's quite a complicated process until you understand it. So... So before, as I say, we could just bring people in and now so you get a, it's a license, it's something you have to apply for. Do you want to take us through? Yes, absolutely. So just first thing to say about sponsorship is, you know, in essence, if you become a sponsor, you become an extension of the home office. And you know, that is a very privileged position to be in. Sponsorship is a privilege, not a right. Significant trust is placed in sponsors and the home office imposes high standards. And I mean, really high standards and is extremely exacting in their requirements. So any role that HR plays to um, is partly to ensure that immigration and wider UK law is complied with, but also to ensure, this is very high level, that the organisation they are supporting behaves in a manner that is conducive to the greater public good, and they do check. And so this is what we're talking about here is what I would call expert administration, which probably doesn't sound sexy, but it's a highly skilled area. So if an organization wants to um, become a, a sponsor, they would apply for a sponsor license and there's lots of information online. They would first have to decide what type of organization they were and what type of license they wanted. And once they'd gone through that process, paid the fees, provided the documentation, the documentation is quite exacting. You have to provide four types of documents and according to the type of organization you are, it's quite specific what you need to provide. Then you get into um, understanding the quite detailed processes you need to have internally and policies to sponsor that worker and keep a track of them and being really clear on your duties and compliance obligations. And this is a big area that HR will contribute to either internally or externally. 
So, I mean, how long does it take to do it? It sounds, it sounds like you've already put me off. Let's put it, say that for nothing. Um, but that uh, wouldn't be my job. I was learning and development. It was much more, much more big picture. Um, so how long does it take? Or I mean, tell me a bit actually, more of the detail. Yeah, it doesn't actually take a huge amount of time once you've got all the documentation together. And the key here is to, the most important thing when you're applying is just to think about the key personnel that need to be involved. So the most important person is someone called the authorizing officer. And they're a bit like the CEO from a health and safety point of view. So we all know that if something goes wrong in an organization, it's the CEO's head on the block and we keep the CEO out of jail in HR. In this case, we're keeping the authorizing officer out of trouble with the immigration, with it, with the home office. So that's a senior person, but it can't be too high level because they have a very clear responsibility for ensuring that the compliance duties placed on the organization are met. And that's drilling down and checking. So that's the most important role. And often that type of person may be someone in finance. It may be a company secretary. It may be an HR manager or an HR director, but it, it is a, a senior person with responsibility. Then the next sort of key role is a key contact. And this is the person that the, um, the Home Office, the UK Visa and Immigration Service would liaise with and any queries would come through. Might be the same person, might not be. And then you get into having a level one user and the level one user is responsible for all the day-to-day -day management of the license using their um, sponsorship management system. Um, you can also have a sort of level two user with less access, but those are sort of the key roles. So um, if you're external, so, I mean, I can see if you're internal, then you might take on one of these roles, but if you're an indie and you're doing this for somebody, then I guess you've got to get someone in the organization or would you consider taking one of these roles on for an organization? So you can do it um, for an organization. So an organization must have one level one user who is an employee, but they can have another level one or level two user employed by a third party organization. And they specifically comment on this on the home office site. They call it roles of HR contractors and agency staff. Okay. And if you put a contract to provide HR services, so there needs to be sort of a retained agreement in place rather than just for a project, yeah. then it's absolutely fine. And that's where indies in particular can support smaller organizations um, where they need that sort of support. I guess it's quite growing. I mean, it's one of those things, if you get your head around it, I mean, you were saying you've done this for a couple of clients and you can see it's actually quite big, but I guess it's a growing requirement with Brexit, more and more people. I mean, it's a question that people are asking because it's a new ground. It's, it's definitely something to know about and to research and, you know, whether you're internal and your organisation has a need, um, it's definitely um, doable to acquire the knowledge. Likewise, if you're an indie, thinking about offering it as a specialism. Um, I've done it for clients because clients have come to me and said, can you help with this? And I would say yes. And the market dictates what services you offer. Um, it's a particular type of person that's good at this as well. Um, and it is someone that's naturally methodical, detailed, highly organized, happy with routine work, very systematic. That's a particular type of person. If you're not, you could get yourself into trouble. And don't forget, as I've said, I was explaining to you earlier that the, if you've got any employees that you're sponsoring, the level of record keeping that you need to have for those sponsors is probably the same level that you'd have for your CEO. It's much higher than an ordinary employee oh, right. because you could get audited and you need to be able to prove everything that you have done. 
It's interesting. I work with um, clients in the public sector, uh, sorry, in um, financial services, and they have this SMCR compliance regime. So it's this sort, this same sort of authority. The FCA can come and ask you to evidence stuff. So you've got to have this big data trail. Hence your point about being methodical and auditable, basically. That's a good point, actually. If you're already working in a regulated environment, probably you've got some good um, practice there in terms of the records you're keeping. The other thing that's quite interesting about this is obviously most of us have got sort of databases now and we keep electronic records. Whereas actually a tip I would give people that were doing this is to keep a hard copy file. (laughs) Because if you do get an inspection, you won't get much notice and it's much easier to have that file and see what you've got on there. So I would actually say within reason keep a hard copy file and all your sort of sponsor is oh interesting so um is there a kind of is there a formal amount of notice that that they're going to give you is, is that defined or it's just it could be quick no it's kind of you know no more than a week which right. would be quite, would not be enough time if you weren't on top you know you could throw you into a flat spin if you're busy doing other stuff which of course it would come around at that point you've got to dig all that stuff together that's it yeah. So just take me through a bit of the jargon. So you've talked about level one and two users and things like that in an organization. And I think you talk about this tiers, isn't there, as well, of roles, tier twos, tier, tier, two, tier, one, tier one user, a tier one user and a tier two user. So the um, there's something called the sponsorship management system um, and the tier one user would be involved in that. And the sponsorship management system is your link between the organization and the home office. And in that system, you need to make sure that any details of the organization are changed, such as the address, um, details of existing key contacts, authorizing officer. Now, that's something in organizations, sometimes people move and we often don't update it, do we? But you absolutely have to in this case or it's an event. So it's that type of thing. It's um, license renewal date. It's any um, certificates for sponsors the organization has assigned. That's when they're sponsoring someone. So there's a record for each person they're sponsoring. And then any activities relating to the worker um, within the sponsorship duties. Um, You need to record things like any recruitment activities you've done, Uh, And you need to be in regular contact uh, with your sponsors. The other thing um, that some organizations find themselves doing is having two sets of policies, one for for staff that aren't sponsored and one for staff that are sponsored because there's different requirements. So it's quite a lot of paperwork, but (laughs) don't let it put you off because it's kind of the way the world's going. If you want to employ people, that don't have the, um, the right now to work in the UK without being sponsored. So why would we bring people in now? I suppose the, the purpose of making it a bit, well, apart from Brexit is, is, you know, it's kind of a side effect of, but the purpose is to try and recruit in the country, I guess. But you're going yeah. to want, you're not going to just recruit just anybody to given this level of um, trail. So, so, so that's a good point. Uh, obviously, one of the things that um, the government want is that UK employees get Uh, roles over what they would call migrants so there's the resident labour market test to ensure that um, you know the jobs will go to people in the UK but then obviously there are what we'd call skilled occupations of which there's a list Um, and depending on the profile of your organisation you may want to bring someone in with a particular um, skill and there's all sorts of other reasons why people would be sponsored you know it might be an intercompany transfer you know it may be a graduate recruitment scheme it may be something like that um, and so those are legitimate reasons for bringing people in. Okay, so so you, so there's a sort of a, a reference that you go as to why you can do it. Those are almost like your checklist that you'd need to you'd need to go through. 
Pretty much. And as I say, there's quite a lot of detailed information. Once you've worked out the type of organisation you are and the types of people that you want to sponsor, um, then the information is, is very clear. And the Home Office have a very good helpline and they also do a business desk and they're, they're very responsive. So from that point of view, there's a lot of support there. Is it expensive? How, how much does it cost? Uh, da, 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 da. I did prepare this earlier. I thought you might ask me. Um, so if you're a small company, it's £536 and it's £1,476 for a large company. If you wanted to expedite that because you're in a rush, it's another £500. And then each time you issue a certificate of sponsorship, it's £199. So it's not a crazy cost when you compare it to recruitment and things like that. I think the cost of the organisation is resources, personally, and keeping on top of that administration. Because as you know, as we all know, if you get behind, it's very hard to catch up. And it just needs to be a systematic thing. And so I would be saying to an organisation that was thinking about doing it, just are you set up that you can cope with this? Is this going to work in your organisation? Easier to recruit internally, if not, you might think, or remotely look look out look elsewhere if you if you um if you if you need to yeah. so so in terms of so once you've got this so you, say you run through the cost of, of how how we do this and then um you go into these you've talked about expectations about how we do it in terms of linking it with the sms isn't it this this sponsorship management system that you talked about with the with the home office um if we we're going to go through it then in terms of maybe a step-by-step approach to it Shri, you you were talking me through you've got some steps and you've got sort of sponsor compliance checklist steps so i think it's quite helpful do you want to walk through oh, okay in terms those? of the areas yeah of the i think it'd be quite yeah. useful to discuss the key, the key areas of sort of um compliance for an organization are monitoring immigration status um so uh whether sponsor license holders or not should be checking and retaining evidence that each employee has the appropriate immigration permission to undertake their particular role and tracking any expiry dates of anyone with time limited immigration permission, keeping hold of contact details. Most people do that as standard, but it's very important with sponsored migrants. And is that really, is that obvious to do? I mean, I, would, I wouldn't actually even know where to start. They, is that the responsibility on the individual who's applied for the job or do we have to help them do that? The organization? Yeah. Uh, yes, it, it's about um, when you're thinking about doing this, it's probably I would uh, be talking to the organisation just to looking at established systems because established systems might already be useful for this or there might be an element that you're not using. But it's thinking about your system. It's not just agreeing that you should do it. It's actually if you're responsible working with a client or an organisation, making sure you've got the infrastructure in place to do that, because as we all know, if something's automated or you've got a sort of, you know, a good system, then that's helpful. Likewise with record keeping, keeping hold of things you may not necessarily record now, you know, going in the typical HR file still, I would say, you might have got contract of employment, you might have got a CV, that's about as much as you're going to have in there. And they want much more detail, you know, CV, degree certificate, registration certificate, pay slips, contract of employment. Now, pay slips is a good one because that'll obviously be somewhere else. Yeah. So you can see how you're starting to gather things together. And then any evidence that a compliant resident labour market test was undertaken if it was clear that one was required. Okay. Then you need to track and monitor your migrant because they're a migrant and you're responsible for them on behalf of the home office. So, you know, if they go on, if they're absent, where are they? Annual leave should be recorded. Any change in in circumstances, job role, salary, or if they leave you, you need to tell the home office. Right. Is there a time time frame that you have to do that within? Um, Just as soon as possible, really. Right. 
Um, how responsible? Just on that, I mean, I, I, those all sound like work-related things that you're responsible for. There, you're not responsible for if they go and you know run someone over in the car or you know, get into a drunken fight. Good point. But if you know about it, then you need to report it to the Home Office. Really? And so that, there's more. There's a higher level of obligation on you. Ordinarily, if one of our staff got into trouble. Um, we would keep that quiet because we think about confidentiality. Whereas we have the absolute opposite obligation here that we need to tell the Home Office because the Home Office are always wary of criminals coming to the country and they want to know about it and they'll link it all together. So that's why I emphasise that it's a much more responsible role. You almost have an obligation to sort of observe and monitor any sort of strange patterns and anything that you think there is some training that you can have. You, you just need to, if in doubt, disclose it. And then the final thing is recruitment um, and accreditation, um, keeping a record of that. So if they, you know, for example, if they're a doctor, um, proof of registration with General Medical Council, for example. Is that, and that's the UK, GMC is, U, is UK, isn't it? Then So they have to register with their professional body in this country to be able to practice, I'm guessing. Registered. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Okay, so if we're prepared to take all of that on, and then when we have the right skills and process and organisation traits, then you can see how um, it's definitely a valuable thing to to do, but very responsible, as you say. So you'd think you'd think twice before necessarily doing it. Um, anything else? What else in terms of that we we might need to be aware of? Um, what what can go wrong? That's a good question. I mean, the, the most the biggest thing that go wrong is making a mistake when you're. Um, actually applying for a license because it's quite detailed you know and that's actually happened to me and um, we applied for two licenses someone working for me put the same job description on those two different job descriptions I think it might have been a finance director and a technical director so that was granted and we had the nightmare situation of, of someone about to get on a plane to come to the UK which would have been unlawful because it was the wrong job description so we had to redo it and keep that person in Thailand where they were so you know mistakes like that or have big impact and yeah. what you're going to be doing is bringing anyone to the UK unlawfully they might get they might get refused entry you know that'd be quite embarrassing yeah 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 <laughs> so that's the biggest one um the next thing is it, I would come back to not keeping detailed enough records um, it, it's always useful you're thinking about doing it try and talk to someone else that's been doing it successfully just to understand literally what to record um, which is in doubt record everything um, and you know obviously if you do make mistakes there are problems you do run the risk of the home office downgrading you you can be a status a or a status b a status a is someone that's new to it or has a good strong track record but if you're a status b they've kind of got their eye on you and things are more complicated so that that's also a risk potentially are there any sort of personal risks or anything to, to people if you kind of breach the system or anything? Well, it's an interesting point. There's one of the things I didn't mention earlier when you're deciding which personnel to um, select is suitability. And actually, because this is a government um, thing, you know, things that can count against you might be not paying your VAT, having ever been in trouble uh, or anything like that. So, and, and if you get into trouble with the immigration because you're an authorising officer and you haven't um, followed through all things you need to do, that will count against you personally in terms of other things that go on your personal record. So right. it's, it's quite a responsible thing yeah. to undertake. Yeah, it is a bit like the um, financial services ones where it's the same as you yeah. as an individual. Yeah. Yeah. Without, being a director yeah. or something, right? So, so it's another responsibility to think about. 
Yeah. Okay. So uh, I think that's really useful. We know how much it costs. We know some of the challenges. We know what you need to do, the loops, the, the, the steps that we need to, to go through. Anything we haven't covered, Ruth, that you think would be useful for people to know in this particular um, conversation? I think just what would be quite useful just from an HR point of view is just to sort of summarise how HR can support an organisation, the sort of different areas. So one we talked about earlier was having a good system in place, maybe one that also can track recruitment, but also one that can record all the details of the employee. Just understanding um, all the things you can do to support recruitment activity. I mean, a big one is doing very detailed job descriptions to support that, you know, particularly if you're going for a skilled occupation. Um, understanding um, the whole UK labour market test and what's involved in that, because you'll probably be advising your organisation on it. Um, then policies and procedures, traditionally something that HR lead on, um, but organisations all have varying standards on this and often policies and procedures can get out of date. But looking at those forensically in terms of compliance, and as I was saying earlier, potentially creating additional policies just for those sponsors, and then, of course, always the good one, training line managers, because a policy and procedures, nothing if nobody knows about it. Um, you say do additional policies, sorry, for the sponsors. So if it's been, why, is that, why would you have a different policy for them? Because they have more exacting requirements. So, for example, uh, if they were going off on leave and doing something, they need to tell you particular information that you wouldn't ever dream of asking like where are they right. going and stuff like that. You wouldn't say, where are you going on holiday? When, you know, when are you leaving? When are you coming back type of right. thing? Gosh, so you've yeah. got more of a requirement to track them um and you know it just makes parental isn't it like you've got to tell people to sign them out of school kind of thing it's kind of but it, it's quite alien to the HR community because we trust in people we believe in people and we're quite hands-off and so it is important to understand that your role will be almost the opposite of that you'll almost be quite a traditional it's quite a traditional personnel role this mm. recognizing that you know, no offence to anyone from the public sector listening, but sometimes the government civil service is quite that traditional sort of expert administrative service. And this is very much like that, but not very close to the traditional, to the current role that most HR people play when they advise, they guide. This is much more hands on. Brilliant. OK, sorry, did I, did I get you do your fifth one? Did I interrupt? Have we got, did you get all the way through your list? Yes, and I, yeah, yeah. The only thing I was going to say was um, under the direction of the authorising officer, address any weaknesses in any related processes and keep a record of what you've done, because it's all about continual improvement. And that's very good information to have to hand if you get audited, because they'll see that as very good practice. So that could save you if you have missed something somewhere else. Brilliant. OK, so you show you're, you're being sort of um, committed to the diligent, yeah, diligent that's sort of conscientious. Yeah, you recognise that you're an arm of the Home Office and you're, you know, you're you're doing things as well as you can. Yeah. Yeah. OK, so uh, that's, that's actually pretty interesting. Really. <laughs> um, it's, it's definitely not a job that I'm going to be applying for, but there will be people listening out there who could find out more about this and learn more about this. And um, actually, with that in mind, um, I know on the HRI, you're going to do some sort of notes and some resource guides that we'll put in the show notes, won't we? So um linked to all of the HR role in series that we're covering with the HRI team um do you want to just give us an idea of where people can find you personally Ruth and also how they direct them to the HRI website we'll put the links in our show notes hruprising.com so if you want to know more about this you can reach out to yes we'll write a, yes you've obviously got a blog about this and so have a look at that and have the links to our guides um, which will be on our website www.hrindependence.co.uk brilliant 
And obviously we can find you on LinkedIn and Facebook. Join the HRIs if you haven't come across that Facebook, that, committee, that community. Another good Please come and join us. Yeah, yes, exactly. absolutely. Fantastic. Thank you so much for joining today, Ruth. It's always a pleasure. And that was very, very informative. So much appreciate your time. My pleasure. Thank you. I really hope you found this week's episode useful and enjoyable. If you did, perhaps you could recommend us to a friend or colleague or give us a review on your platform of choice. It really helps new listeners to find us. Now you can access links to any of the information mentioned in this show via the website www.hruprising.com. Further free resources are also available at www.actus.co.uk. There you can also find out more about our software and training solutions. Finally, why not join our LinkedIn group, The HR Uprising, to share ideas and collaborate with other like-minded people professionals. Thank you for listening to The HR Uprising podcast.